Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. People love restaurant delivery apps, even more with a discount. But how do restaurants feel about them? If you're curious, this episode of Tech Bites is for you. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. That's about a million of you a month from 65 countries around the world. Someday maybe we'll do a show where we list all those 65 countries. It's pretty exciting to think about all those people tuning in worldwide to Tech Bites, the show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. I'm Jennifer Leitze, your host. And today's episode is about... Gibney, which is a new app for food delivery that comes with a discount and real-time pricing, which is kind of an interesting twist to the usual delivery. But before we get into talking about that, we will start this episode like we always do, going around the shipping container, talking about apps, apps we love, old favorites, new ones we've discovered. It's a particularly exciting app week with the recent Apple announcements. Apple announcements and new technology typically means new apps and new platforms coming soon. First up is the person who turns this conversation into a worldwide 65-country podcast, David Tatashore, our engineer and Heritage Radio Network studio manager. David? That's me. Good morning. Good morning. Do you have an app? David typically is either into extreme personal security or... Sound and music. <laughs> well, we're going to go sort of with the latter today. Um, but I'd actually like to do something a little different and crowdsource some suggestions for myself, very selfishly. Um, I've always used, so I, I use Android. I'm an Android user. And I've always used the Android file transfer app to put music onto my phone. But ever since I upgraded to Android 8, Oreo, as they call it, and uh, that in combination with my phone, the Google Pixel, I can no longer use that. So I want to know what are Android users using to get music on their phones. And I have a couple parameters. My computer is using OS X 10.8.5 Mountain Lion, so it has to be compatible with that. And I don't want something over Wi-Fi. I want it to be like I hook up a USB cable and transfer files that way. And I want to be able to drop things directly into the music folder, like not just some generic location on the phone. So Tech Bytes listeners, help me out. So if you have an answer for David, a suggestion, or a general comment, you can get in touch with us at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can tweet us, techbyteshrn. We're on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. So give us a shout. David is waiting with waiting his music files. in silence. 
waiting silence. in silence while I, I go without music or just the same old music I've had on here forever. Okay, help a guy out, people. Let's get some answers. Joining us today, uh, we have Mohamed Merzik, and he is co-founder and CEO of a restaurant deliv- the said restaurant delivery app, Gibney. Thank you for coming to join us today. Sure, thanks for having me. Do you have an app that you like? And the rule is that you're not allowed to talk about an app that you own, founded, or work at. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was going to say Jabni, but uh, I recently rediscovered the joys of using Twitter. I was an active user um, a few years ago and kind of like um, stopped using it for a while and recently um, started enjoying it again. Um, so it's been a few months and I'm really loving it because I understood that the power of Twitter is all about following the right audience and following the right uh, people and influencers. Um, so in that sense, um, I get to discover great content around technology, innovation, startups, and um, investing in general. Um, as far as productivity, um, <clears throat> for a startup, we rely on instant mes- messaging apps such as Slack and um, um, project management platforms like Trello. Um, until recently, I did not know that Trello had a mobile app that allowed you to do stuff from the subway, from uh, your Lyft or Uber, and downloaded that. And it was really amazing and surprising how much you could do with an app that is not on a desktop. So in that sense, it helps with productivity and uh, saves a lot of time. So, yeah. On, on Twitter, <clears throat> every time there's a news cycle with, with big news or some cultural happening, Twitter always pulls into the lead. I think it you, it, it, you almost can't beat it for how quickly in real time it starts to populate news about events and things that are happening. And it is worldwide. And the trending on Twitter is a very good indicator of what people are talking about and thinking about and looking for. I think much more so than Facebook. Facebook is a little cumbersome to sort of get to that data very quickly. Right. But given what's happening um, in the political world, given what's happening in you know worldwide news and always in entertainment and media, Twitter always wins. I feel like Twitter's also one of the favorites, ongoing, enduring favorites of journalists and writers. Right. And that they go to Twitter quite frequently to communicate amongst themselves and with their public. And that also is part of what drives Twitter as being one of the leading news distributors, I think. I totally agree, yes. And I mean news in the broadest sense. News from news organizations, uh, news in terms of the public recapping what's happening or what they're watching you right. Know, right now. So information sharing in the broadest sense. Totally. Yeah. Twitter's a great one. And yeah, all of the entrepreneurs love the Trello and the Slack. <laughs> From day one, we've been hearing about those. Right. They're very popular. I think I should, you know, we've, we started talking about apps on episode four of Tech Bytes, and this right. is episode 111. Whose idea was it? It was my idea, actually. And if you're interested really in hearing all of the background and some of the greatest hits on the apps, we did a uh, What's Your Favorite App episode, episode 108, okay. which is a bit of the background story of that and a, a compilation of some of the really great, funny, interesting app conversations from shows past. Nice. Yeah. So uh, seated next to me also is Robert Guar. 
Guarino from Five Napkin Burger. He's one of the founders and the CEO. Do you have an app that you like right now? Yes, you stole my thunder a little bit with uh, by saying Slack, but I, that's I, okay. You can say <laughs> the same one. I mean, that sort of reinforces the idea that it's popular and and useful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know I've run a management team of about thirty five, and I, I migrated everyone to Slack in the spring, and I've just found it so efficient, so uh, so effective, so so great for for managing on the run and people in different places and different information. And it's, um, you know, I'm at the point now where I get frustrated when I get things over email that that could have been sent in Slack. (laughs) You know, it allows me to communicate with my team almost 24-7. You know, when I'm not working, which isn't terribly often, but when it happens, I I hate to open my email because it's hard to, it takes me out of my day and away from the family. But if I'm getting notes on Slack, I can respond and know what's going on without getting into the time suck that is email. So Slack has been a great thing for for us as an organization. It also, if you can consolidate your work communication in one area and segregate it from your life communication, sometimes that makes it easier to manage. Because if you get a ping on your email and it's all your email, then it's hard to differentiate what's happening. Sure, and at the same time, I will not just work in life, but also internal, you know, in my organization and then external. Right. Uh, you know, so when, when I'm getting, you know, there's obviously lots of email from the outside world, but I know Slack is my inside world and we're not really interacting with anyone, any other organizations through Slack yet. So that's a, that's another a layer of differentiation, us. safe place for us to have conversations. That's a, that's a good selling point. Are you using the mobile? I'm assuming you're using the mobile version more than the desktop. Uh, yes, but I love that I can switch back and forth very easily. So if I am at my desk, you know, it's faster to, to work on the desktop version, but as soon as I leave, you know, it's the conversation comes with me pretty easily. Maybe I'll start to build one of those uh, Facebook polls around the apps, and then every time someone mentions it, I'll go and I'll put a thing, and we'll see like who's which apps are winning. Because there are a few that get mentioned over and over again. Right. Trello, Slack, um, and, and Headspace. Slack is, Slack is uh, great with integrations as well. Um, I think recently they came up with this feature where you can integrate directly with your email so that you can get your emails um, directly into Slack, so you have one centralized uh, platform to handle all of your communication. Haven't tried that feature yet, but seems very convenient. Well, maybe you can <clears throat> try it out and report back. Yes, definitely. Maybe we'll do a um, productivity episode. <laughs> <laughs> so my app this week is called <clears throat> Canopy. Canopy with a K, K-A-N-O-P-Y. It's free. It's for Android and iOS, and basically, it is a movie streaming app that connects to the movie libraries of public libraries. So this has recently been a news story as they've come online, Canopy plus about 200 public libraries across the country. I am a a huge, huge fan of the public library. I love the New York City public libraries. I am a member, I have a library card, I donate to them annually. I live in New York, so I have a very small apartment, and I stopped buying books because I simply ran out of space, but I really prefer to read on paper. So I go to the library maybe once a week, and I take books and take them back, and you know, I want to support the public service, and I also want to support the authors, so that's why I you know, contribute the money that I would spend buying books to the library. Right. But you can get electronic books with your library card. You can manage your library account online and create your hold list and your reading list and all those kinds of things. 
But the public library not only has audiobooks, but they can also stream movies. So if you have a public library card and it's connected to Canopy, you can download the app and you can stream movies for free, which is amazing. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And audiobooks as well. Audiobooks you can download and have them native and then they just sort of disappear after two to three weeks. And then they also have digital books. You can do ebooks in the same way for different reading devices and different reading apps. And then now they, you know, have this can this relationship with Canopy. So you can if you have a library library card, start to stream the catalog that they have online. And are you happy with the movie selection they offer? You know, it, it's really, it's, in some ways, it's almost better than a Netflix kind of thing because they have sort of the, the, the popular titles that you would assume that they would. What they have that um, is a little bit different, and, you know, you can also get a, a DVD at the library also and check out a DVD the same way you would check out a book, okay. which is pretty amazing. So, like, the old video rental store situation. They have a lot of foreign language selections, foreign language TV, foreign language movies, um, which you don't see often. Right. I find those kinds of things interesting. Um, different people that I know at one point or another became, you know, really enamored with the uh, Korean soap operas or, you know, right. things like that. <laughs> so sometimes you find, you know, things for different community groups that you wouldn't necessarily find on a mainstream uh, service. So it's fun. I mean, you have to dig around. It might not have the blockbuster that you're looking right. for, but it might have some other things. And you can't beat free. No, absolutely. Right. You know? That is true. Yeah. So yeah. Canopy, free streaming movies from your public library. Um, check out your public library. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing and a great place. And I love reading books on paper, you know? And I, I get so much more enjoyment reading them on paper than I do digitally, which maybe I shouldn't be saying because this is the tech show. Um, but books on paper are great. So now that we've wrapped up the app recommendation part of the show, we're going to get to the um, app sales part of the show. So as we mentioned earlier, Mohammed is co-founder and CEO of Gibney, which is a food delivery app. That has a couple of interesting features, including real-time demand-adjusted pricing and future order placement and some different things like that. And before we get to hearing him uh, describe his product and then ultimately try and convince Robert that it would be a great platform for Five Napkin Burger, the question I'm sure you get asked most frequently up front is, tell us about the name. What's with the name? Oh, nice. Uh, I didn't expect that one. Um, it's, it's, it's a very unusual name. It's it spelled G-E-B-N-I. Yes. And if you want to visit the website, it's G-E-B-N-I.com. And on social media, they are at G-E-B-N-I <laughs> underscore N-Y-C. Correct. We might have not done a great job with the spelling, but uh, the name... So I'm originally from North Africa, Algeria, and the main language spoken there is... French? Um, Arabic, which is not really 100% Arabic, but it's Algerian, which is a mix of Arabic and French. Um, so you're right, people do speak French as a second language. Um, and Jabni in Arabic means bring me. So when we were thinking about naming the company, 
um, we thought about something that connects us back uh, to our roots and where we came from, because both my co-founder and I are from Algeria. So we thought, why not name it Germany? Bring me food, bring me um, happiness, bring me discounts. That's what we do. So, so it just felt right. <laughs> that's definitely uh, a personal founder story. It connects the name to your brand very uniquely. Right. Um, it has charm to it because it's exotic and it involves travel to you know a beautiful faraway place that we associate with you know food and and markets and things like that. Right. <clears throat> Did you think about the fact that no one can spell it or say it? And how am I going to find it in the app store? <laughs> yes, we because did. Because this, I mean, and, you know, to point, you have a very specific word from a foreign language, but oftentimes founders of any sort of tech product, they create these wacky names sometimes or different spellings because the URL is taken if it's spelled the right way. So it's, right. you know, Fiverr with five, with three R's or... Different things like that. So, so are you concerned at all about to, people being able to find it? To be 100% honest, when we thought about it, we didn't think it was going to be really difficult uh, for people to say it or um, know how to pronounce it. So uh, we, when we came up with, with it, it, it just felt right. And we said, okay, let's do it. And then, you know, when we started getting those first reactions from people, oh, how do you say that? Some people call it Gabney or um, some people call it um, other things. And we started thinking about whether or not we should change the name and realized that a lot of the you know tech giants didn't have the most you know common or usual names you would think of and uh, people just you know started like knowing google how to, yeah like google or um yeah but some of them are <clears throat> just very straightforward you know apple right right and um, in the food world a lot of the names are around food like especially food delivery apps it's just like the common food-related names, we didn't want to do something that is just another food delivery app with the food name. We wanted something special. So, Well, in, <coughs> in branding and marketing, definitely tying your, your name to something that's very specific and unique to you and creating a, a name that could not be applied to anything else is, is, is typically the place you want to go. So right. you've absolutely accomplished that. And if your end goal is to be a global platform, then it probably will matter less and less as you go from country to country. Right. And the domain name was really cheap, so... I'll bet. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. So, now that we've resolved the name issue, give us a a brief synopsis of of what it does on the consumer side. And, you know, part of the, the idea for this show is... Every time there is a convenience app for consumers where they can order their favorite food really easily and with a discount off of an app, that's great. And it's very easy to understand how something like that could be successful and why people would want that in their lives. The piece that I think most consumers don't think about is the flip side of that. And if you're, um, you know, getting delivery and you're not paying a delivery charge, if you're getting delivery and you're getting a discount somebody's paying for that delivery somewhere and somebody's paying for that discount somewhere and that somebody typically is not the app, it's typically the restaurant. So we actually did a show, I think in 2016, called Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And in some situations, the answer to that is yes. And in some situations, the answer to that is no. 
So we understand every day the, <clears throat> the benefits of the consumer side. So this is a look at what actually happens on the flip side in terms of restaurants coming onto the platform and having that conversation. Because you can get consumers, but if you don't have restaurants, then you don't have a product that is to true. sell. Yeah. So tell us about the consumer-facing side really quickly. That's sort of the easiest one to navigate, I think. Sure. So when we really started Jabni, it was just um, us scratching our own itch. Um, we, my, both my uh, co-founder and I started relying heavily on other online food ordering platforms, and we were students in New York City, and um, it started getting expensive. Um, we noticed that we were never able to save any money on food delivery or online orders, um, both on takeout and delivery orders. Um, even though with our busy schedules, most of our orders happened during these really weird times, like it was always either a super late lunch or late dinner when we knew for a fact that restaurants needed our business, but we still didn't get that happy hour pricing or discounted pricing for those online orders. Um, so we started researching different platforms that could maybe save us money on food delivery, but we didn't find any. So we started researching the market and started um, asking people around and just talking to restaurants why such platforms did not exist. And um, so the answer is that most restaurants we, t we talked to is were saying that they already offer discounted food to their offline customers. Um, um, you can think about your happy hour prices or like those lunch specials. Happy hour, early bird. Right, exactly, early prefix bird. Prefix menu. Exactly, all of those were not actually available to online orders, uh, online users and for online ordering. Um, so the restaurant, the, the answer we got most from restaurant was that the technology was not available to instantly update prices and push discounts online to customers. And the second answer, the most common answer was that online, third-party online platforms are already charging too high a commission fee that any further discounting of food were, was going to hurt uh, businesses' margins. So um, we, I guess what we thought about, we, we saw that there was an opportunity. So what, when we went back to restaurants, we asked them, would you pay for a service that allowed you to discount the food and get and reach more customers and boost your online orders during off-peak times if the commission was low enough for you to still make a profit? And the answer was almost always yes. So that's how the idea of Jamni was um, uh, first uh, started. And uh, once we were convinced enough that this could be a good opportunity for us, we um, went ahead and built a prototype and started testing it out with um, uh, very early users with one restaurant only in Greenwich Village. And we had about 20 users to test the platform initially. Uh, we would push manually discounts uh, between 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. And we would get one, two, or three orders per day out of 20 active users, which was not bad. It was like a clear confirmation for us that this was something needed. If we had that small, that tiny user base that was placing orders on a regular uh, basis, um, we, we felt like we needed to work on the product and improve it. So what we did for the next few months was just learn from the feedback, learn from the restaurant and the users, um, and it eventually built a platform that now automates price updates. So if you're a user looking to order food delivery, every time you log into Jabni, you're always going to see a price that is the adjusted to reflect current demand levels, meaning that if your favorite burger, favorite salad is not being ordered 
uh, at peak capacity is not in high demand, you get it at a lower adjusted price and save money in M. So, so yeah. that's really the, the <clears throat> different piece, I Correct. think, to this particular app for <clears throat> delivery and ordering. And the interesting thing is that, well, not interesting thing, it's, it's the classic story of the entrepreneur having a problem for themselves that they want to solve. One of the interesting things about all of these restaurant service apps is that most people are developing them from the consumer side. I'm a consumer. I want something. I want it now. I can't get it. I want it at a discount. It's full price. So I'm going to build an app or a software platform to satisfy my needs as a consumer. The flip side to that is very few of them take a look at the restaurant side in real terms. And many times people think, oh, this is going to be amazing for restaurants because they're going to get exposure to a market for marketing and they're going to get new customers and they're going to get this and they're going to get that. And a lot of times those are great ideas and a little pie in the sky and they come from a little bit of a naivete from being on the consumer side and not on the restaurant industry side. So that demand pricing piece is very interesting. So we are going to take a break and listen to who our sponsor is. And when we come back, we're going to have Mohammed and Robert from Five Napkin Burger talk about the restaurant side application to this. Because as a consumer, I love it. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get a discount. It's going to be great. It's going to get delivered right to me. It's perfect. I know, right? <laughs> it's perfect for, for me. When we come back, we're going to find out if it's perfect for the restaurant. Stay with us. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about food tech with the people making it. Today we are talking with Mohamed Merzik, who is co-founder and CEO of a restaurant delivery app called Gibney. And he is... Uh, in the position now to talk to a focus group of one. We know that his delivery app, which gives consumers their favorite food at a discounted price delivered to their doors, is an easy crowd pleaser. 
but what about the restaurant side? He needs restaurants to populate the offerings, and he needs restaurants to buy into his real-time on-demand pricing and future pricing. So as our restaurant focus group of one, we have Robert Gorino, who is CEO and one of the founders of Five Napkin Burger, which is a, a New York City chainlet, perhaps. They have four epi- They have four outlets in Manhattan, and they have one in Boston. They have some in the Middle East and more on the way. If you're interested in taking a look at them online right now, it is the number five, napkinburger.com, and you can find them on social media at Five Napkin Burger. Robert, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So tell us just very quickly about your mini burger chain. Sure. And the chain is mini, the burgers are big. Absolutely. Yeah, we are uh, about nine years in business now. We started in Hell's Kitchen on 45th Street and 9th Avenue. Uh, we designed the first store to, for that location, which, which is a neighborhood we knew very well. Um, and we've, we've been able to grow from there as people like what we do. And kind of because we designed it as a one-off, we, we, we did everything you wouldn't do if you were trying to scale a, scale a burger brand. I think and it's also worth noting that your partners are restaurant people. Yes, your absolutely. Your partners are Chef Andy Namiko, who's a well-known, uh, established you know, middle fine dining chef in New York, as well as your restaurant partner, Simon Oren, who has um, a bunch of really well-loved bistro-style restaurants in New York. So this is not a uh, fast food concept from the ground up. This is, you know, restaurant people creating a burger restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started, we, you know, what's it, you know, the business we had in New York was, was um, you know, restaurants designed for specific locations, many of them French or Mediterranean, but really casual fine dining brasseries. And when we decided we wanted to do the burger concept, we said, great, we're going to do an American brasserie. So we did everything we would have done to conceptualize a French restaurant. We, you know, beautiful decor, big beverage program, nice service, uh, bigger scale. Uh, when we had this location, our first fear was that, well, this is too big for a burger place because it's, it's, it was 100 seats for sit-down plus a 15-seat bar. We said that maybe we should do another concept, but we, we rolled the dice, and it's, it worked out very well. But it is a full-service restaurant with a menu around the burgers, full table service, um, and, and beverage being a big part of what we do, craft beer and spirits. Obviously, once we start talking about delivery, that's when it, from the operator side, it's one of the big things you miss in a delivery sale. Is a, is, is a beverage. You know, there's, there's no beverage going out the door for delivery. So right away, you're talking about different economics. Do you currently do delivery right now? We do. We've started, um, you know, it's, we've started again in all the locations this year. Um, we've done it in the past when we had to uh, handle the delivery drivers ourselves, uh, which was very challenging at the volume we were doing to do it well. Um, so we did actually stop for a while, but now that the third-party delivery services are out there between, uh, you know, Caviar and Uber and Amazon, uh, and now Seamless Grubhub, which is also handling delivery, we've gotten back into the game with, with delivery being handled by others. Uh, and so I think for, for the guests, they think a better product is being delivered to their house because there's now when we get three orders at the same time, it's three drivers showing up as opposed to one driver going out with three bags. Um, so I think we're getting food out, you know, fresher, hotter, faster. Um, of course, it does come, you know, an economic side to that, to the operator as well. That's even a bigger piece of the pie you're giving up to who essentially becomes your partner. So, Mohammed, he sounds like he's a really perfect focus group for you. Yes, he is. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, 
So what we did was before we actually designed Jabni and rolled it out to the public, we took the time to really understand the restaurant side. So we learned about the restaurant margins. We learned um, about the average commission being paid to third-party delivery platforms. We know um, pretty much um, how much money is being lost to those platforms. So what we did was that we designed a concept where our commission is low enough so that restaurants uh, selling food at a lower adjusted price, and notice how I'm not using a discount because we think differently about prices, um, p still make the same amount of margins as they would on fully priced items um, sold on different platforms, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, because our commission is low enough. So what we want to do is we want to democratize this space by saying, hey, instead of paying that high commission to the average ordering platform, you can um, give that away in the form of discount to your end consumer and solve your sales problem, your low sales problem during off-peak times by targeting your students, your budget-conscious people, people who cannot consistently afford ordering food online, or even increase the order frequency of current online users because you have people that order online but occasionally once a week maybe once every two weeks or once a month and can't consistently order maybe you know they would like to increase their order frequency but can't because of budget constraints with our technology uh, because we save money on almost every order people have more disposable income to place more orders so that was the idea behind Jabni um, and yeah so the, the one thing, um, the, the very, the one question that restaurants always ask is that, do you take pricing power away from us? And the answer to that is no, because um, with these price adjustments, it's the operator, the restaurant manager owner that sets the lower and upper boundaries on prices. So because they know their margin is better, right, we allow them to fix those boundaries where it will never go below a certain price and never higher than a certain price so that the restaurant is always making a profit. So a lot of what you're talking about is sort of the, the, you know, the supposition of how it works and what's going to be beneficial to a restaurant. But if you and Robert are sitting down for the first time and, and you want Robert and Five Napkin Burger to be on your platform, what are the first questions that you ask him? How do you, what's the articulation of how it actually works in, in real life? So what I would probably lead with is um, I would ask about the you know ballpark figure so what how much a commission how much of a like the average commission you would pay a ballpark figure to a third-party mm. platform you just round numbers you're un for undelivered like if, if you just if you're handling your own delivery right. you're paying somewhere between 13 to 15 percent okay and then if they add you tack on delivery you're getting closer to 30 Right. Uh, with almost all the platforms, so it is a it is a significant number. And just so that the public understands, just to use round numbers, and we are just going to use round numbers because we don't want anybody, you know, having any conflicting uh, proprietary information sure. issues. What's the percentage? What's your profit percentage range at a restaurant and at your restaurants? Well, I've, I've heard the word profit used by both of you now. And when I look at it, especially in, in context of delivery, it's an important word that comes before that, and that's incremental. Right. Mm -hmm. So incremental profit would be profit for on sales that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Mm -hmm. um, so from you know macroeconomics 101, they say if, if, if you make a marginal profit of, of a dollar, it's a worthwhile it's a, it's a worthwhile mm -hmm. endeavor as long as it's incremental. Right. So um, any of these conversations, I'm always looking, is this my customer who's getting a discounted or is this a customer that I have 
you know, that, that could never have been my customer without, without the help of the app. So that's a very specific yeah. and, and notable differentiation um, in terms of what the restaurant perceives as their existing consumer base for delivery right. and the additional outside new consumer base that a potential partner would bring to you. And so that factors into the equation also. No, absolutely. Do you, so at, at right. this point, are you primarily bringing new customers or do you find that people who love this restaurant would find it and then would order through your app because of the, the discounting so opportunity? So we're, we're, um, I would say we're doing both, but um, mainly bringing new customers to the space. Um, so uh, a lot of our users happen to be college students, graduate students, or people who would order in, um, usually not place orders online because of budget constraints. But if they, so these are people that happen to be, say, two or three dollars lower your price bracket at five napkin burger. If you have a burger that is priced at fifteen dollars, um, you know, factor in tip and tax, it would cost anywhere between eighteen and twenty dollars uh, to get it delivered. Uh, these are people that are ready to pay $15, uh, including tip and tax. So if you um, use a technology that, such as Japanese, uh, where prices get lower during um, offbeat times, this person would then consider ordering from a five napkin burger. So in that sense, it is very incremental. Um, we get restaurants, a lot of new users. Um, and um, Robert, <clears throat> are there... What's the typical audience that most of the delivery platforms are sort of promising? Uh, this is this is an unusual demographic. Typically, we hear millennials, sure, or I mean, business people at work. It, it depends, certainly, you know, much by neighborhood. You know, if if you're near the corporate areas, the best delivery business is 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 you know corporate you know corporate entities, right. and that's really how Seamless got started in New York. Is that they were basically private accounts for law firms and. And, yes, and, correct. And, right. and and they got such a head start because of that. It was it, how they integrated into the into the payroll and HR and and uh, in, invoicing and reimbursement side of things. Right. They they fulfilled a very specific need for businesses. Right. And then made it they e could track it, and businesses didn't have to go invoice by invoice, and, and, and made, made it, it easier really to easy. sell to restaurants mm -hmm. because those companies had to order through that platform. So we'd either, that's a perfect example we were talking about a moment ago, you either get that business by working with them or you have no access to it. So it's actually a closed market. Um, but it's, it, you know, one of the things I worry about as we start with, with what we're talking about is that a lot of the best delivery customers order frequently. They order once a week or they order twice a month. If you live in your neighborhood, anyone who lives in Manhattan knows you have your five to 10 delivery places that, that's on your rotation. What do we feel like tonight? Chinese, burgers, Italian. And so once we've found the customer, do we have, I worry that all of a sudden we'll be discounting them forever. Um, and I also worry that if I do have that regular customer, can I get them to do a house, you know, a proprietary app where I'm paying no fee, um, you know, because the cost of the technology has come down. So if I can get that customer, how do I, move them off of a third-party platform onto, onto a proprietary platform would be the biggest win from the restaurant side. So how does that work with your consumer base if they are motivated by the discounts? And that's certainly a real question just in life. Um, you know, Amazon is a perfect example of people getting used to paying a discount for almost everything. So then that creates a baseline of expectation and, you know, user habit. 
Do people follow, do you find that your users are following the discount or that they're loyal to their restaurants that they love or combination of both um, or too soon to tell? It's, it's a little bit um, too soon to tell, but from the data that we could gather, it's a combination of both. Um, people like the discount, but they also want to see specific restaurants on the app, their um, favorite restaurants or something. So in, in that sense, um, it's really, it's, it's a little bit too early to tell. Yeah. So do you, <clears throat> does your, do you manage the actual delivery end also? No, we actually, that's our val entire value proposition to restaurants. So what's, um, what we, what we're helping restaurants do is that get enough orders throughout the day. Uh, so it would make more sense for them to handle their own deliveries because it would be more profitable. Um, an example of that would be getting three $20 orders from a platform that handles delivery but also charges you a 30% commission. That's um, $18 on those three orders just in commission fees, right? Um, having your own delivery person would cost you a little less than that. And including a commission such as uh, low, such as Japanese, you'd still make more money than relying on a third-party platform that handles delivery on your behalf. And that was one of the reasons that a lot of restaurants switched to these third-party platforms. It was because they had these four to five hour gaps during the day where they weren't making any online sales but still had to pay that delivery person uh, to stay on the premises in case there was uh, an order. In case there was an order. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem we're also solving with um, So how does that, that fit in? And, and that is definitely uh, a question that I think all restaurants engaged in delivery grapple with from day to day, balancing which is the most efficient economical model for them if it's to pay more but not have to worry about the delivery or to pay less of a percentage to the platform and then but have to manage your delivery on your own do you, what yeah sure it's it's a it's a number I, I look at often and and so I you know right now we've made the calculation that in order to um, employ delivery drivers you know we can we make out better economically not employing delivery drivers at the kind at the volume we're doing today. Now, if we could double that volume or increase it by fifty percent, it it becomes break even, and at some point it would be a net you know a net win to us. Um, as I was mentioning before, if we could actually process that volume of orders through our own software, we'd be in, in the best of all situations, which is which is tricky to do. But with with your product, Mohammed, I, I think what's interesting um, and a good way to to sell it, and what I'm you know, as I'm extrapolating what I'm hearing and thinking about how it applies to our business is, is really the concept of yield management. You know, hotel, hotels, you know, hotels and airlines have been doing it forever. Um, and restaurants are going to need to going forward because consumer behavior has been changing so much so quickly lately. I mean, there's, you know, full service lunch is, is, a, is a very difficult segment now because nobody's spending an hour for lunch. Right. Um, restaurants have gotten expensive because of you know, food costs and labor costs, and they're saying the spread. Real estate. The, real estate. And you know, the spread between restaurant pricing and grocery pricing has never been higher. So nationwide, everyone's trying to figure out what's happening with restaurants. Right. Um, and what, what I can see is that it, where it's harder to do business is Monday, you know, Monday night and Tuesday night. As things have gotten more expensive, those are the first things people give up. You know, we'll cook at home with Blue Apron on Monday night or Tuesday night. So if you can really get me that business on, you know, Monday evening at nine o'clock, that, you know, that has the value as consumers are spending less money 
out and in restaurants at that hour. So from a yield management perspective, that's that's kind of the key. For for us specifically, do you do you do you have restaurants who use it just for takeout um, as right as opposed yes. to not delivering for pickup? You can, you can actually choose to just um, yeah sell put for it on pickup. as, as pickup mm-hmm. only because that you know that that's the kind of scenario yes. I could see where you know we come up at ten o'clock every night and we have NYU students on Fourteenth Street who are waiting for exactly. ten o'clock knowing that they can get the discount. Order it on their way to pick up after class or on their way home or after the gym. Or or in the dorm right next door. I mean, so that doesn't cost me to to deliver the product. It's business. I probably, you know, they probably would have have eaten something else or, or, you know, a slice or a fast food burger. Absolutely. So that's completely incremental business with very little cost that I could see using the product for for that scenario. And that kind of fits into my definition of yield management. Um, You know, especially with younger, you know, if you, you talked about students, one of the challenges we have you know, we, we have a late night happy hour, uh, which is great if you're drinking. But if you're under 21, you know, you're not, it, it, you're not, you're not. So you're just getting you're not drinking we'll say, if you're under 21 in New York City. No, certainly not in my businesses. Uh, but, you know, we do three dollar sliders after 10 o'clock. But it That's doesn't nice. it doesn't help if there, if there's no if there's no beverage. Three dollar sliders after 10 o'clock at which five napkin burger location? Uh, 14th and third, 70th and second and 84th and Broadway. OK, people, there you go. Your three dollar. So, Slider at the bar. At the so, bar. So in theory, I'd almost do that for pickup. If, right. If, if there were, if it were, buy and buy no the cost. sack. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing. We're we're actually really out of time. But if you can answer the question in like thirty seconds or less, Muhammad, very very quickly, you also have a function where people can place future orders and pay for future orders, which is Correct. another very unusual thing that I've not seen in most of the so delivery platforms. With, so these future orders come with a guaranteed discount, and that's just because a customer guarantees a sale to the restaurant in the future, and it's, sometimes it's really far in the future, meaning like any, it starts five days from now to two weeks from now, and they get a growing discount of 2% uh, for each additional day. For the restaurant side, they get cap, uh, working capital and financing ahead of time deposited in their bank account to finance their operations because the user is paying ahead of time for the service. And the user, because of that convenience that they're affording the restaurant, they get a guaranteed discount as a way to compensate for pre-ordering in advance. So who's the <coughs> user who is buying in advance? So these are the very busy people, the corporate people who have very tight uh, lunch breaks or the meal preppers, people that want to stay on top of their dietary goals. They want to get those three or four salads a week for without um, feeling like having something else. So like locking themselves into this healthy lifestyle habit. So Um, people who are working on a, on the supposition of uh, being on some sort of program, either I'm at work and I, I'm going to do the same thing every day. So I just want to rack it up. So it's easy. Correct. Or I'm on a special meal plan. So then instead of ordering a meal service, I'm just going to order my same setup for meals, which saves you time. Also I would think like corporate planning or something like that. If you know you have meetings coming up where it's going to be lunchtime meetings and things like that. And you need to order food for a group. That's also a big portion of um, that future ordering business, yeah. Th- that sounds like a very unique component to me. Have you seen a future order I haven't. functionality I'm just, I'm, in I'm the interest- delivery services? I'd be interested to hear how big a part of the business it is because when we mentioned corporate, there's you know a lot of them are, are not worried about the price. Uh, they're more worried about, I mean, future ordering would be nice for them, but they don't necessarily care about the discount. 
you know, bigger businesses, certainly. Um, they worry about the margins, right? They so. do. I mean, they, there's a whole world out there of, of who the decision maker is in corporate right. catering. That's uh, true. And who are, who are treat, you know, there's a lot of uh, executive assistants who are treated very well uh, in, in any major business. There's a lot of different out. models. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 a, it's interesting, but it's, you know, you know if it were to grow, and, and that was my first question, when does the money arrive? You know, if, if, if the capital arrives early. Uh, 48 hours. That's great. Yeah. So there's no, there's really no downside to that. No, nope. and, and it's no. uh, and it helps nice with the yield and inventory management as well because you get a clear sure. idea of um, how much demand you have in the future. So you got uh, it. Reduce food waste and yeah, better inventory management. So to wrap up real quickly because we are sadly out of time. Robert, what do you think about Gimni from the restaurant point of view? I'm definitely interested to hear more. I mean, is if you know if it really can help in a yield management capacity, uh, you know, and 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 lower some, you know, for us it would probably be about pickup. Um, but if if done right and done and done certain hours, there's probably very little downside for us to doing it, uh, especially in a pickup context. So. We'll talk, we'll talk more about it, and we'll see what we can do. That's great. Yeah. Mohammed. was that helpful for yes. you in terms of uh, entrepreneurs always need feedback? Absolutely, yes. I think um, I learned a lot. It was a, a great conversation, very helpful. Yeah, so thanks, Robert and Jennifer, yeah. Well, thank you for coming. We can't have a live talk radio show without people to talk to. And it's always interesting to hear both sides of the coin. And if you have something interesting you'd like to talk about or you want us to talk about or you have, again, an Android file transfer app for music for David. Yes, please. Get in touch with us at TechBytesHRN across social media or TechBytes at HeritageRadioNetwork.org is our email. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. TechBytes is hosted and produced by Jennifer Leutzi. It's engineered by David Tatashore. Our theme song is by DJ Uptown Nico. It's called Nomada CPU Track. We are on heritageradionetwork.org every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. And after that, we are on demand on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and your favorite podcasting platform. If you like this show, come back and see us again. If you love this show... Go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and donate what maybe you spent on your last burger. We subsist entirely on support and sponsorship from our members and underwriters like you. I'm Jennifer Leitze. This is Tech Bytes. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.